0: Sandman Legal Services is the nation's only law firm dedicated to the needs of medical expert witnesses and consultants. Its founder and principal, who we're interviewing today, Dan Sandman Esquire, has been a licensed attorney for nearly 20 years. For nearly eight years, Dan led a leading medical expert witness and consulting agency, American Medical Forensic Specialists, helming the company as president for five years and seeing it successfully through two acquisitions, the pandemic, and exponential growth. Dan started Sandman Legal Services in February of 2022, where he combines his legal expertise and medical expert witness industry knowledge in providing legal and consulting services to the medical expert witness community. We talk today about the business aspect of being a medical expert. How do we end up on the list? Do we really need to take a course first? Why is it important to have a retainer and why lawyers need a retainer to write your retainer and how to set our fees? This interview was full of brass tax advice and will likely be the first of many with
1: Dan. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block.
0: And now a word from this week's sponsor, Laurel Road. Taking out med school loans had me watching every penny. I took two buses to get to campus. During my residency, I walked 20 blocks. But since I opened a Laurel Road link checking account when I refinanced my loans, I got a crazy low rate plus a cash bonus. And all that extra money helped me finally buy my own car.
2: Where are we going?
0: Anywhere we want.
1: Laurel Road for Doctors. Banking insights and benefits uniquely designed for doctors. See laurelroad.com slash doctor checking for full terms and conditions. Laurel Road is a brand of KeyBank and a member FDIC.
0: Dan Sandman, thanks so much for being on the podcast.
2: Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: So... Tell me a little about your business because when <laughs> oddly when I when we decided that we were going to do this interview I didn't quite understand sure. what you did so so it 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 ends up it's even even better fit than I thought
2: well that's great that's great and uh, you know really what I've been doing since February is I started my own uh, law and consulting firm mainly focused on uh, meeting the needs of medical expert witnesses. I'd been running a medical expert witness consulting firm that matched uh, experts with lawyers for about seven or eight years. And then I def- decided to really start my own law firm that met the legal needs of the experts. And the big question is I guess, what does that mean? And I think the best way I can answer that is that over the years, I was asked by many experts the three following questions Can you help me draft a retainer agreement? Can you help me figure out what I should charge and what my uh, fee schedule should look like? And do I need insurance to do this? And when I was running that company, I couldn't really give out that legal advice, but now that I have my own law firm, I can work with experts on those issues and more to help develop a sound foundation for their medical expert witness practice, and also consult with them on, on building on the business side.
0: Great, and we're gonna get to all that, but you know, for a lot of listeners, myself included they're wondering how do i even break into the business but in such a way that's like you know high roi you know if i'm cuz if i'm knocking on doors of law firms over and over and over mm-hmm. and over you know like it's going to take a lot of time it's going to take away from my practice so you know clearly i want everything just spoon fed to me so you know so what <laughs> what can we do um so so you as as this matchmaker like how do we get in touch with someone like how do we even find someone like this
2: so when i was doing the matchmaking which is a good word for it uh with the company i was president of for a number of years uh folks would number one who are experts they would look for some of the bigger companies in the space and try to get on their lists okay in order to get you're asking about getting their first engagement how do they become part of the network how do they get referrals okay so I think one of the easiest things that folks can do who are interested in doing medical expert witness work uh, is contact those organizations out there, those consulting firms that match experts with lawyers and insurance companies, things of that nature. Uh, that's an easy way to break in uh, to the business with minimal investment, uh, without having to put up a website, without having to send out letters to you know, lawyers on their own.
0: So can you give us some of those names? Because I think Seek is is one of the big ones, right? S E A K. So
2: so Seek provides, uh, as I understand it, they provide guides and they have an online listing service. Maybe it'd be helpful if I sort of broke down how some of the different medical expert uh, witness firms, uh, what they are and the difference between a firm and a listing service, maybe that might be helpful. So Seek's a big one. And they've been around a long, long time. And they put out guides that are sent to insurance companies and lawyers that have listings of different experts in different fields. It can be medicine, healthcare, it could be something else. Uh, Then they also have an online listing service, where a physician or healthcare provider, you know, an actuary, whatever, can pay to uh, have a listing online so lawyers can go at no charge to the lawyer and find you know an online listing and then reach out to that expert if their cv or what have you is of interest Uh, we also have agencies that sort of do the legwork for the lawyers so the lawyers don't have to spend a lot of time out there uh, going through the various listings that is typically something that costs the attorney or the whatever the entity is, corporation, uh, some money, uh, but it usually is free to the expert to be listed with those organizations. So those organizations can be like AMFS, like I used to work for, American Medical Forensic Specialists, you have Homestead Medical Experts, you have Premier Medical Experts out of Kansas. Uh, There's a whole list of different uh expert witness firms out there they don't all operate the same and i can't speak to how they all operate but i know they're all looking for good experts experts that are willing to develop a relationship with that organization and their clients
0: okay so good experts right
2: yeah good experts. how
0: do we how do we make sure so let's say let's say we get in touch with one of these before we even establish if we are or are not a good expert How do we make sure that we're presentable?
2: That's a really good question. That's a really good question. And uh, in being a physician, your physicians are already experts in their specific field. And when you talk about presentable, I assume you're talking about a trial or deposition, right?
0: No, not even that. Um, how that. How do I make it so that um they choose me as their expert witness as opposed to someone else especially with sure. little experience right because if you have sure. a lot of experience then you have a relationship and and that kind of momentum i'm sure will take you places
2: sure you know i'm going to go one better with uh how to get that first engagement which i think you're you're, you're kind of driving at a little bit and i don't I, I don't want to put words in your mouth but a lot of uh doctors know lawyers and if you have lawyer friends sometimes you can go to them and they'll hook you up, especially if they're in the personal injury, medical malpractice, or insurance defense field. So going to your question is, how do you really get the attention of even people your friends or acquaintances with in the field? How do you stand out? It starts with your CV. Uh, There's certain ways to present a CV to a lawyer, and you can line up 10 lawyers in a room, ask them all, how do you like experts to present CVs to you? And they'll give you 10 different answers. Um, I, I'm going to try and give one answer to try and make this, you know, easy to digest for your, your viewers and listeners, is if you have a CV that um, lists the fact that you're a cheerleader in college or things like that, that's not a CV that's going to be taken seriously. You really, and there, I've looked at thousands upon thousands of CVs over the years, and that's a big turnoff to attorneys. To look good to the attorney, you really want to put your most recent expertise in education first. Okay, have that at the top, uh, in my opinion, and you want it in that, you know, sort of reverse chronological order as you go with regard to the work that you've done, research that you've done. When I was practicing as a lawyer and I see this from both angles uh, and as a trial lawyer, I would like to have an expert's complete CV. Some folks suggest that uh, you should prepare a special expert witness CV that is used for marketing. But when I was practicing law in the trial courts, I would want to see an expert's entire CV so that I could go through all their publications and really dig deep down. Of course, now we have a lot of technology these days that can do some of that for us, but uh, keep that CV looking professional. Make sure you have a fee schedule. Fee schedule is important. Almost all uh, lawyers and insurance companies and paralegals and folks that are going to contact medical, uh, expert witnesses are going to want to see a fee schedule too.
0: Fee schedule is separate from the CV.
2: Fee schedule is typically separate from the CV, right? I, a little uh,
0: presumptuous, here's yeah. my CV and how much I plan to charge you
2: maybe. Right. Finish. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can send it as a package. I mean, they're almost yeah. always going to ask. If they haven't found it already online or wherever someone may be advertising and that that's sort of an interesting topic as well, advertising, but. uh, You know, have a professional fee schedule and retainer agreement, make sure that the uh, fee schedule is easy to understand and make sure that the retainer agreement reflects the fee schedule and vice versa. Uh, At the end of the day, you want to make sure that you have a retainer agreement that is complete protects the expert, but is also something that is not so onerous that is gonna turn off the lawyer from retaining you.
0: Okay, so there we are. Now we're there with the with the retainer agreement. So first of all, what is a retainer agreement?
2: Sure, sure. So the retainer agreement is the contract between uh, the lawyer and the expert or the insurance company, and the expert, or whoever is hiring the expert, okay? It sets out the terms of the engagement and what the expectations are for each party. Uh, it's really important uh, that whoever uh, is, is getting into this business have the right foundation, and if they're already in the business and don't have the right foundation, they really think about having someone who's a professional, meaning a lawyer, who's familiar with the expert witness business or employment agreements, take a look at retainer agreement, and make sure that it adequately protects the expert, but is not so onerous from a business perspective that it is not going to be something that a lawyer wants to sign.
0: Well, what type of things would we need to be protected from?
2: Sure. So first and foremost, from being sued. Now I talked to over the years, probably thousands of medical expert witnesses and Many don't like to discuss the fact that you can get sued by a lawyer for, you know, as we all know, you can get sued for any reason, unfortunately. But you can get sued if something goes bad. And if you're not in a position to limit your liability and limit your exposure, uh, you can have problems. You can really expose yourself to liability. So it's really like
0: you say something that loses them their case.
2: Correct. 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 These things have happened. They don't happen all that often, Uh, but it's important to be protected, especially as more and more uh, professionals, whether it be doctors, nurses, whoever getting into the expert witness business, we're going to see a lot more liability uh, type situations opening up over the years. I don't know if you happen to see an article that was in, I think it was Entrepreneur Magazine about the expert witness business as a whole being a $200 million juggernaut that sort of has flown under the radar over the last several years and is now sort of, you know, uh, sort of business people are taking a look at it and saying, wow, there's something to be said about this business here. And I hear from a lot of doctors, as I'm sure you hear from a lot of your colleagues who are looking for other areas of income, other income streams, and, and so many are going into this right now, especially post pandemic.
0: Yep. that's why everybody is listening to this episode right now.
2: <laughs> There's <they're... laughs> so much I want to talk about, but yeah, I uh, I try to keep it concise and, uh, you know, it, it's very nuanced. The area is very nuanced. It seems very, you know, I think to a lot of people very, um, you know, pretty cut and dry in terms of what a doctor or a nurse or anyone in healthcare is getting involved in. But it's pretty serious business it's pretty serious business, because whether you work for an insurance company, insurance defense firm, plaintiff's lawyer, whatever it may be, there could be hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars riding on it in people's lives. And um, it's very serious business. And that's why I think when people are starting out in the expert witness world, they really need to decide, hey, am I willing to take a case all the way to the end line and testify, whether it be for the defense or for the plaintiff? Or am I more comfortable just sort of being a case reviewer. And that's another opportunity that uh, is out there for uh, people who may not be comfortable uh, being case being testifying experts. There's a lot of case review opportunities uh, that can bring in supplemental income, but are not going to expose the doctor or the healthcare provider to being called to testify.
0: But being called to testify is where a lot of the money is made, right?
2: Yeah, a good deal of money is made in testifying. But the truth of the matter is usually most of the money is made in the review of the case over the course of years. Sure, a big chunk can happen. For example, in medical malpractice case, it's not all that common that doctors are going to be on the stand more than a day or maybe two. And they can make a huge you know, pop, if you will, from being on the stand and and at that period of time. But right, and that, a... that's
0: where like the dense like the like per hour, your rate is going to be significantly higher. And actually, we'll get into rates shortly. But sure, your, your rate is going to be significantly higher when you are in involved in the trial itself. However, many cases will not end up going to trial, and so most of the money is made actually, you know, is made in reviewing the case because there are a lot more cases to review than correct. there will be trials to go to.
2: Correct. Correct. I would say uh-huh. that, you know, state to state, you know, 80 to 90% of uh, medical malpractice cases, if we're talking about MedMal, do not make it to trial. They're resolved yep. or kicked out of court or, you know, decided by summary judgment. But there's a lot of opportunities out there besides MedMal for doctors and nurses and healthcare providers to provide Expert services. That's why I mentioned uh, being a reviewing expert. Uh, that's why people can talk about peer review. The, there's a lot of technology that's driving sort of changes in the expert witness industry. Uh, there's companies out there that approach me over the years that I'm not at liberty to sort of get into that are talking about uh, tech solutions to expert witness review uh, and expert witness, uh, you know. Sort of matching things like that. There's a lot of changes that are coming to this industry. Uh, you at need the end AI of the day, to
0: testify instead of me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> hey, no one's as good as you. You know, sound good and look good, but uh, at <laughs> at, at, the the day, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, and I've been an attorney for 20 years, and when I started in 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 the trial courts in the Circuit Court of Cook County, uh, working with doctors was was an important part of the practice, and I think at the end of the day. Uh, lawyers have to decide, you know, who's best for them. And, you know, if tech can help them make the decision, that's fine. But at the end of the day, you're, you're not going to have a robot, you know, take the stand for you. So
0: before we get to fees, I just want to get back to the retainer agreement. Cause yes, I, sir. I, one last question about that. And that was you said too onerous. Like, I, I, I'm just not understanding. Like, sure. it seems like the retainer agreement needs to be in such a way that, right, you're protecting yourself from liability mm-hmm. in case the the trial doesn't go the way that the attorney wants it to or you you say something that ends up being damning or right but how what do you mean by onerous what are the types of
2: good answer that question so i have again i've reviewed thousands upon thousands of retainer agreements and if you put together a retainer agreement that is 15 or 20 pages long okay even you know 12 point font you're probably not going to be of great interest to the lawyer as a comparable expert whose retainer agreement is a lot more clear, a lot simpler to read, the terms are easier to get through. Um, If you have many, many ways in your retainer agreement that provide outs for the expert to quit for example, if this goes wrong, I'm out. If that goes wrong, I'm out. If this goes wrong, I'm out. It, as I've been told by lawyers that I've worked with over the years, it it really sort of gives the impression that um, it's a my way or the highway type thing with the expert. And like anything else in the written form, it's about communication. And the, the retainer agreement is really communicating the terms of the agreement, protecting the expert, but at the same time, You want to present something to the lawyer that they can easily read and understand in terms of what the terms are. Easily get through in a brief period of time without having to go to the books and research, you know, certain esoteric areas of the law, if you're putting in some ridiculous terms and feel comfortable signing. Um, That's sort of the feedback I've gotten over the years and that's sort of the way I approach it, you got to find that balance, you got to find that balance uh listen all experts are not alike you can find one expert who has the exact same credentials the exact same expertise number of depositions and trials as someone else uh, but they have different beliefs in how they want to structure their business and that is going to be reflected in their retainer agreement they may want different terms they may want different ways of addressing certain situations as they come up so what i try to do in my business is is, is really listen and see what is uh, most important to a particular client, counsel them as to some of the things that we've been talking about here. And at the end of the day, reflect in that agreement what's most important to my expert client and most important to them, not only from protecting their from a liability standpoint, but also being sure that we can be Appealing from a business standpoint when you're taking things out to market.
0: Okay. So in order to be appealing, you probably have to have reasonable fees. So now let's talk about <laughs> now. Let's talk about the fees. So my you, understanding. You had per- to be
2: in broadcasting before this. You know, your segues are just the best. I mean, yeah, seriously, we're gonna sign you up on radio one of these days, you know, and I'll be listening. No, to
0: you no. Thank you though. But radio's dead. It's all about podcasting now, <laughs> podcasting forever. Um I appreciate that. Well, it's also because this is all relevant to me. So, if there's anybody interested who wants to hire me as their <laughs> expert witness, I am, I am available and looking for work. Um, so, so, so fees, right? So, my understanding is, right? Um, you're going to have the case review, deposition, and then mm-hmm. trial, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, three separate fees. Uh, so, I know, I know what I would, what I would want, but how do we know what's reasonable because i would imagine it also varies specialty to specialty right like the amount that of of work i'm giving up in a day and how much i bill in a day is going to be different than you know a neurosurgeon who's you know killing it out there and uh you know a pediatrician who doesn't do as well
2: well let me tell you something is that It's funny you should ask the question. I was just reading something about this, and I'd say the average fees across the country are probably five to six hundred dollars an hour for review and maybe a little bit higher for testimony per hour. But the truth of the matter is, is that the sky is the limit in terms of what an expert can charge if they're the right expert for the case. And I'm not suggesting that experts go out and start charging. Two, three, four, five thousand $5,000 an hour, although there are some who do. Um, but what I'm saying is that the market drives a lot of these forces. Okay, the market drives a lot of these forces. So for example, if uh, you're a guy who uh, I think went to Penn, and I think went to Georgetown law school, or I'm sorry, medical school, you know, I know, medical, I know I was, medical school was your second choice, right? You know, res- that's okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but residency
0: went, at Georgetown, yeah, Buffalo. I'm a Georgetown. product of the uh, New York State system. For trying to remember,
2: yeah, yeah. you have to, you have to realize that. I don't uh, want to
0: misrepresent myself here.
2: So, I, you yeah. know, I don't listen. That don't do that on your CV. either, not that you ever would, <laughs> but you know, since we're joking here, but you know, with your types of credentials, and you can have. A lot of comfort in billing more than $400 an hour, but somebody with your type of credentials who maybe has done five or six or eight or 10 more. cases than you and maybe testified in all those cases could potentially command more so it's really comes to a comfortability level as to what you want to charge what what is it worth to you to do it. But at the same time. You have to be smart with regard to what's going on in the industry and if there's somebody who's comparable to you and they're going to charge $200 less, you know it's it's possible that a that a lawyer may go with that. Um, Very tough to have a hard and fast rule because there's so many different agencies involved there's like I said put 10 lawyers in a room, you can get different opinions. Um, You got to do my advice as a doctor, healthcare provider, wants to get into expert witness work, do what's comfortable to you. Better to charge more, in my opinion, than less, because if you have to negotiate, you can always negotiate from a stronger position. And don't be afraid to negotiate because lawyers are built as negotiators no matter what. They're probably gonna wanna negotiate some aspect of an agreement or some aspect of a fee schedule. So don't be afraid to put your rates a little bit higher with the knowledge that in some situations, a lawyer may want to negotiate it down. Better to start high and end up a little lower.
0: Okay. So that's for case review. Mm -hmm. Right? But what about deposition? Excuse me. What about deposition? And is there some like multiplier here that we can use? Sure. So if we decide that this is our fee and then.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, usually what what I've seen. And. Usually what I have seen is if someone's charging, let's say, for example, $500 an hour for case review, uh, consultation on the phone, and we can talk about that, sometimes people charge more, uh, usually they're charging $100, $200 an hour more for the testimony time. So if someone's charging $500 for the review, they may be charging $600, $700 an hour for testimony relate, testimony work. That's what I'm saying. Okay,
0: okay. Right. and then and and that includes deposition and at trial.
2: Sure, uh, there are those experts who will uh, charge a certain amount for deposition and sometimes more for trial. Again, it comes down to what's what's best for the expert. What are they comfortable with? Uh, but also, you don't want you you know to charge so much uh, or make your uh, billable and fees billables and fee schedules so confusing that it's hard for a lawyer to follow or it might be hard for you to sort of keep track of i've looked at fee schedule once i remember it was about two pages long and by the time uh i was done diagramming this thing i think i had found you know you know the meaning the of Da Vinci life.
0: code yeah you know
2: the Da Vinci code <laughs> i mean you don't want to do that um so i'd kind of kind of keep it Keep it honest, for lack of a better word, and keep it simple. For example, we're just using this as an example. You know, five hundred dollars an hour for review, phone consultation, literature search, things like that. Six or seven hundred dollars an hour for testimony. Okay, Uh, maybe a travel fee. Some people want to charge time for traveling if they're going from one place to the next, and maybe an increase in a rush fee. Um, Those are some basics that I would suggest, but when it comes to testimony, you know, we're seeing sort of a trend over time where it used to be an automatic that somebody would charge a full day for testimony and trial, okay? And that would usually be based on an eight or 10 hour multiplier of whatever the, the base hourly rate was. So let's say it's a 10 hour multiplier, someone's charging $700 an hour for testimony, that first day of trial would be $7,000, okay? What we've seen since the Zoom advent, making things a lot more efficient, both in depot and in, frankly, in trial, believe it or not, which, you know, that, that's a separate podcast, right? That's episode two. So um, is, is lawyers coming back and saying, well, hey, listen, you know, he doesn't have to, or she doesn't have to travel, the expert doesn't have to travel all the way to the courthouse. You know, the trial's in California and you're in New York and, you know, The judge keeps it simple because he's just going to have you on the stand for two or three hours. Can we break that down? So what I've heard from a lot of my clients that I've been working with uh, since I started uh, doing what I'm doing at the beginning of the year is that they're getting a lot of pushback to the full day charge for the testimony rate, especially that first day of trial and maybe breaking it down to a half day or even charging hourly. My advice, keep it high. Because, as I said before, you can always negotiate it down if, an, if a law firm really wants you, and you always can change it. If you say, hey, you know, the last few engagements I kind of lost, maybe talk to the lawyer, what was the defining factor? We didn't like this. We didn't like that in your fee schedule. And lawyers will provide feedback from time to time, and it can be very constructive. Uh, so that's when it's time to you know, make changes to a fee schedule and a retainer agreement so that you're current with the marketplace, if that's what's important to you. And
0: that makes sense because you know I'm thinking of it in terms of lost revenue from seeing patients. And mm-hmm. so if I have to take an entire day to show up in court, even if I'm not spending all that time testifying, it's still lost revenue. And so that needs That's to be right. replaced. Whereas if I can just zoom in for a couple of hours, well, now it's not a whole day I've lost, it's just a half day. And so, yeah, that that makes sense. Clearly, I want to get whatever I can, of right. course you do.
2: Yeah, it's a business. But, it's a business. But, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, it, it all it all it all it all fits. It all makes sense. Okay, so so one last question. Mm-hmm. Let's say I have a uh, getting touch with one of these matchmakers. They set me up with a case. Got my retainer agreement, my fee schedule. All in good shape, and now let's say it's just the case review. Let's start off with the case review. How do I avoid screwing it up? Right? <laughs> it's my first case. I want to get invited back again. And sure. how do I make sure that that I do? What are some things that you've seen in the past that are just pitfalls to avoid?
2: Pitfalls to avoid. Let's say it's just a case review, no testimony. This is no just testimony. somebody says, no just testimony. merit review. Yeah. You know, The thing I could suggest to everyone who's new to this business and is thinking of getting involved is try and take a class or talk with a consultant who can guide you. Before you even get involved, there is a number of folks out there who are physicians, some are agencies, you mentioned one of them, uh, that provide training. It's It's important to have a foundational understanding of what you're doing because a mistake in a medical sense may or may not be a mistake in a legal sense. From what I'm saying is you need to understand if you're looking in, we're talking about medical malpractice, and of course, you know, we can slice and dice this conversation to disability, family law, personal injury, but let's use medical malpractice as an example. It's very important to understand what standard of care means. It's very important to understand what uh, breach of the standard of care means. It's very important to, in a legal medical legal sense. It's very important to understand what damages are, what causation is, and what you're being asked to opine on. Now, I'm I'm not going to go into a, a whole class right now because you know I don't want to bore your listeners or you with you know sort of the nuance there. But the classes that are out there and the courses that are out there. And I hear some of them actually pretty interesting, more interesting than me. Um,
0: It's a high bar. That's a high. It's a high bar. I know
2: it's it's a high bar. I know, I know, I know, (laughs) I know. But uh, can really help help doctors and other healthcare providers who want to do review work or expert witness work understand what that means. So, how not to screw it up? Take the time, make the investment. To talk with a consultant, somebody who's familiar with the industry, talk, take a course, invest two, three, five grand in it. you'll make it back in your first engagement or more and you have a better understanding of what you're doing. Honesty and integrity are so important they're buzzwords these days, but what do they really mean? They mean everything. And if you get involved in a case, and it's something that you're not comfortable with, you feel been asked more and you're out of your depth, be honest with that agency, let them know. Better to do that and then get involved in something where a lawyer is counting on you, but that you know that opinion is not gonna be holding water. That's happened many times, more times than many experts would admit, and more times than folks in the medical, legal, uh matching business would 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 like people to know honesty is your best policy education be honest be direct be collaborative and working with the attorney and the agency Uh, you know honey gets you a lot further than vinegar and in in any business i think and uh you know stay true to yourself if you're not comfortable taking plaintiff's cases don't take plaintiff's cases if it's in the med mail space or pi or anything else if you're not comfortable taking defense cases for whatever reason, don't take defense cases. Do what works for you, but learn about the business. There's a, there's a word that comes up quite a bit, and forgive me for going on here, but I want to make sure I fit this in, where people want to perceive being an expert witness and sell it this way as being a side hustle. Remember, it's not a side hustle to the lawyer who hires the expert, because that expert and their opinion and their credibility on the stand and what the lawyer, the law firm, or the insurance company, whoever are relying on could be worth millions of dollars, could be worth someone's career, could be worth someone's life and livelihood going forward. It's a serious business, an exciting business. It's a great opportunity for uh, doctors and other healthcare providers to get into. Um, and I think the opportunities are just going to keep coming.
0: Well, as a caveat to that, to the to the to the side hustle, we, we love side hustles here. This podcast right now, side, side hustle, uh more side more hustle than side. Um, but it's a side hustle in something that we have expertise in because right. this is what we live and breathe. So exactly. what we're asking for is our judgment about something that we 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 live and breathe. So, so the business aspect of it is more the side hustle but the questions that you're being asked are based on you know things that we've been studying for years and doing for you know decades
2: and that's why just about any doctor who really puts their head puts their mind to it can be a great expert and the first step in doing that because you know you ask you know how is is get that foundational medical legal sort of foundation, look for those opportunities for the training, and then you'll be unstoppable.
0: Is the training something that we put on our CV? Like is if I take a course, should I put that on my CV to make it more appealing? Or is it I think seems it's a, a good idea. Bush league?
2: No, I think it can be a good idea. And if a lawyer doesn't okay. like it, you know, they can let you know. But I think, you know, what I'm hearing from a lot of from a lot of lawyers uh, is they want to know what sort of training has the expert had? Have they had? Have they been coached in how to be an effective testifier, how to give a deposition, uh, how to handle themselves at trial? That can be very, very important. That can be very, very important. So I wouldn't necessarily um, poo-poo that. I mm-hmm. think ultimately it's a decision that uh, each, each expert has to make, but I think that it, it can go a long way uh, to reassuring a lawyer uh about hiring someone who may be new to the business.
0: Okay. So I listened to a couple podcasts and I've been sued a bunch of times. Probably not the the best thing. Probably better better to put a course as the reason why they should uh they should trust you. <laughs> okay. uh oh, you're you are my new best friend and you laugh at my bad jokes. I appreciate that I so, like your jokes. <laughs> so it's a okay, good thing so you weren't Sandman, recording before we started. Sandman Legal Services <laughs> where where do we find you online and if we're interested in in having you help us out as we get started in this business uh you know how do we get in touch
2: so the best way to get in touch with me is at dan at sandmanlegal.com and my website will be up very soon will be up very soon at the same uh, url sandmanlegal.com but for now folks can uh, feel free to reach out to me by email i'm pretty responsive and love to help uh, whoever needs it, and uh, you know, really enjoyed the time with you. And uh, if you or your uh, your future guests and you know listeners need to find me, um, that's the best way.
0: Great, great, Dan
1: Sandman. Thank you so much for t- for your time. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you. It's been a pleasure as well.
1: That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.